the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. All right, you guys ready? Ready. We're ready. Good. All right, well, today we have with us on the podcast, we have Bill Hosovar from the Great Lakes Construction Company, Kent Kreitzer, CEA's Safety Director, and Bill Walsh with SGS Galson Laboratories. How are we all doing? Good. Thanks for having us today, Tim. Good morning. Good morning. Well, well, well Bill Hosovar, how should we distinguish, Kent, between Hosovar and Walsh? How do you want to do that? Billy and Bill? Who, who wants to be Billy? I'll, I'll be Billy. That's what my Billy. mom calls me. Right. <laughs> Billy Hosovar. All right. So, Billy, will you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, um, um, Billy Hosovar <laughs> with the Great Lakes Construction Company. I'm the Director of Risk and Compliance for Great Lakes. I've been with Great Lakes and in the safety safety industry for about uh, 21 years now. I'm a certified safety professional and certified industrial hygienist as well. I oversee a lot of the environmental, the health, the safety um, in the workers' compensation at Great Lakes Construction. Great. 25 years, you said? About uh, 21. I'm I'm young. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And uh, Bill Walsh, how about you? I'm a business development manager for Galson Labs, SGS Galson. Um, my region is the Midwest. I'm also a certified industrial hygienist. I spend about half my time um, providing technical assistance to customers, you know, helping them set up their samples and interpret results, so on and so on. So uh, glad to help. We're here today to talk about CEA's silica sampling and objective data program which can be found on the web at www.ceacisp.org slash silica program if you're wondering and in that program we're partnered with sgs galson labs bill can you tell us a little bit more about sgs galson what is the company and what do you what do you do sure uh galson's uh, an industrial hygiene laboratory so what we do is we analyze samples um, for the different things people are exposed to in the workplace. So in this case, we're going to analyze the air samples for silica content. Uh, part of our service is to provide everything you need to take the sample. And uh, Kent will go into more of that when uh, he describes the program. But, you know, basically it's an air sampling pump and a filter you draw air through. So it's... Uh, it's not a horribly complicated process, and there's a, a lot of technical support if, if you need it, if you're uh, stumped when you get the, the equipment. So, Yeah, well, thank you. Kent, why do we even have this program? Uh, thanks, Tim. So this program, not the silica program, but employers of our association sharing data has been a goal uh, for this association for over the past 15 years. The Hexchrome push, Hex, Hexchrome push uh, a few years back started the, started the process of employers discussing how do we protect our employees from known hazards that we continuously, tasks we continuously perform and has to come together and draw a database. So there was a committee drawn together uh, a few years back, and they started the process of trying to develop a program where everyone can share. And they, they came together, put together a program, and we had some stumbling blocks. It wasn't perfect. We had some issues with sharing data amongst each other. 
we've had. Who's some, the one that pushed put the program together initially? Uh, the one you're talking the about. The safety department here at CEA. So it was an internal. It was an internal um, process or need from our from our members asking for it. Ohio-based contractors. Ohio-based contractors. Okay. Northeast Ohio specifically. Okay. So we come together, we, we attempt to collect data, and we, we ran into some of the roadblocks, I, I guess we can say. Uh, we had problems sharing data amongst one another, especially in the, in the world of the competition of construction and bidding work. Uh, two, we had troubles and struggles with understanding the industrial hygiene equipment, having support to, to keep the equipment updated, calibrated, and understanding the analytical process once we receive our results. So we, we attempted to do this, and, and it just kind of petered out. It just kind of petered out. Um, Hex Chrome kind of went on a shelf from OSHA, and the, um, the need and the, the sharing and the lack of understanding of the IH equipment, just too many hurdles for us to, to proceed. So we put it on the shelf. In that time, well, we start hearing rumblings of the new silica standard. And that silica standard has been, you know, we put it on the shelf two years of attempting to put it together. So two years following that, we start hearing about silica. And the more we hear about silica, the, as the years pass, we hear that there's going to be ability to share data. So believe it or not, those individuals who put that original program together to share data was essentially a nucleus was still intact. Some people switched positions, but the nucleus of our membership was still there, and they had the understanding of what the original mission and intent of that program was. So we, we pulled off the program off the shelf, and we looked around and said, hey, we got to make this work. The code the code's going to allow employers to share data to protect employees from future tasks. We have we have the groundwork. We knew our hurdles. We knew our pressure points. How do we make this work? Billy, were you part of that? I was. Well, it takes me back a few years, but um, <laughs> we were part of the Hex Chrome, and I was fortunate enough that I was invited back to the table to, to help uh, recreate this silica database and silica program with Kent and CEA. What kind of a company is Great Lakes Construction? So we're a heavy civil contractor, Ohio-based. Um, we've been around for about 73 years now. What kind of, kinds of work? Um, we do uh, concrete roadways, um, bridges. We do water treatment plants. We do power. We do um, industrial, private work, um, and, and some infrastructure work as well. Right. Okay. So can't recollect does Kent's recollection jive with yours? He's right on. He's right on. We Good um, answer. Really. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We uh we, we saw some gaps in the hex chrome and uh we knew that we had some and, and couldn't work our way through it and at that time it had it had uh, the dust had fallen and we said let's shelf this for a little bit and then when silica came back around we brushed it off and, and we didn't have to start from scratch, That's fortunately. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. We knew the pressure points where we'd have to Mm-hmm. And that was strengthened. Two years ago, the program went live, right? Two years ago, but actually five years ago, we started development. Okay. All right. So 2014, you started development? We pulled it off the shelf. Conversation yeah. started. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, today we do have a program. We have over hundreds of samples in the database. Tell us about the program. Uh, Kent, Billy, Bill Walsh. Billy, you so, so um, just to elaborate a little bit on how these, this all fits together, how we got over these hurdles, uh, we had two, two uh, tremendous partners come in or, or pieces uh, come into the program to help us. One is the website. 
the CE, the development of the and the progression of the CE website gave us the ability to control data that we didn't have previously with the Hex Chrome. We, it gives us uh, much more control of who can see it, how they can see it, how they can enter it. Um, and two, uh, Mr. Walsh from SGS is our uh, relieved the second pressure point. He is our IH guru, our help, our support that our members can reach out. Uh, not only is he, is he a support, he also supplies the industrial hygiene equipment that our members can use. So they're not so each employer trying to comply with the silica standards, not purchase and ability to probably speak better. This purchase, purchasing new IH equipment that they may may need for a very short duration to find their compliance and their needs. Yeah, I would agree. I think from from an employer's perspective, um, it, it's been a godsend. I mean, not not just strictly for an employer, but I think industry wide. And I think you're right, Kent. The the website um, allowing accessibility and having that 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 third party industrial hygienist um, with the certified lab at the other end for your resources it, it, it plug those gaps that we found years back. Mm-hmm. And um, Bill Walsh. How did it come about that we linked up with you guys? Um, Kent contacted me and wanted to know what we could do as far as doing some training uh, of his members to do take silica content or you know silica samples. And what really made this program click is that uh, one of our vendors came out with a new way to sample for silica that was uh, just unbelievably easier than the classic way using a, a cyclone like OSHA uses. It, uh, it solved all the problems, all the difficulties that, of taking the sample. So, uh, you know, when, when Kent and I were talking about it, it just seemed the perfect fit to use this PPI instead of the cyclone. Uh, it's what made, it's what made the program fly really. And what you're talking about is the um, the little device, fist size or smaller than a fist size device that you attach to the guy's clothing when they're, you're doing air sampling on a, on a person. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Um, the thing about silica uh, sampling is that you need to, to collect only the really small particles uh, that can go all the way down into your lungs, why it's called respirable dust. So... Uh, you know, what this device does is filter out all the larger particles so that when we do the analysis, we're only seeing the, uh, the size that would cause the, the silica disease. Got it. And Bill, there's a, um, there's, you said that the PPI is advanced as, as absolutely is, but could you give a little history lesson on the, the cyclone and the PPI and the, some of the deficiencies we ran into and how the, PPI has eliminated that for us and our members who are using it. Yeah, the cyclone works by, again, filtering out the large particles. And it does that just like the noise uh, name says. The uh, air enters on an angle, spins around, the larger particles fall down, smaller particles get sucked up into the filter. The problem with it, the big problem with it is that if that cyclone is tipped upside down, all the larger particles will go onto the filter and you'll get a, uh, a higher result than you should have. And you know, with construction guys climbing scaffolding and doing all the things they do, it's very likely that that could happen. The second problem is that you have to load and unload 
the cyclone every time you take a sample. And that, again, increases the, the possibility that uh, something bad is going to happen to your sample. The PPI is, is one unit. You take it out of the bag, hook it up to the air sampling pump. And when you think about the pump, think about the, uh, the pump you use in an aquarium. It's about the same size, only instead of blowing air out, it's sucking air in. So you, you, uh, the pumps come pre-calibrated. They draw two liters a minute through the PPI. You just write down how long you take the sample. And we can tell you what your exposure is in micrograms to cubic meter to compare to the 50 that OSHA has for the uh, for the standard. And there's uh, Kent has uh, videos on his webpage that show you exactly how to set this up. So you know anybody that's run a loader or complicated construction equipment would find this horribly easy to do there's really it's not rocket science at all we do we we tend to get questions in, a, in that initial order that there's some anxiety when they order this equipment because their their hands haven't been on it they're not sure what a ppi looks like or what a pump looks like and mm-hmm. how do you how do you make sure the pumps pulling air drawing air two two liters a minute mm-hmm. and um bill's customer service is uh, second to none he, he takes that it, they take that anxiety out of sampling with the ease of ease of their website and their customer service for sure. Yeah, I would agree from, from, from my, my perspective, it was always, you know, myself an industrial hygienist would have to go out and do the sampling and it, I no longer have to do that. I'd have to make sure that pumps were calibrated and the cyclones weren't tipped over and they were cleaned and they were um, loaded. All that's gone. It's just such an ease for an employer just to order a kit, have mm-hmm. it, show up at your doorstep calibrated it's 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 a plug and play like a video game you plug it together you turn it on and you go to work it's a beautiful thing nice so and we we have several ways to get this technical support we have toll-free number you can call people who pick up the phone know what they're talking about um and what i generally recommend is either to text to that number or else go online and use our chat function and the advantage to that is you can ask all your questions, get the answers, and then after you hang up, um, a transcript will get emailed to you. So you have a record of what you asked and what the answers were. So, you know, next time you do this, you'll know you'll know what your questions were and, and how they were answered. Great. So we talked about the OSHA standard, which became effective in the fall of 2017. But what about the OSHA standard? really ramped up uh, the need to do this sampling, Billy? Well, they, they, they changed the parameters of what needed to be sampled, and they lowered the permissible exposure limit uh, extensively. So we had to rethink how we did all of our tasks and how we, most, more importantly, protected our people. Um, with that, we all, and I think Kent can, can attest to this through the association, we all were scratching our heads and, and saying, how do we do this? And, and prior to the PPI and SGS coming on with, with CEA to the database, we, we were scrambling to get qualified people to do the correct testings and send it to a certified lab in order to meet the parameters while keeping our people safe and under the permissible exposure limit so we were compliant with the regulations. That's when we started dusting this stuff off a little bit beforehand. We knew it was coming, and it all just fell together. So um, um, they've ramped up 
they've ramped up all the different requirements of this standard. And I think that this just makes it so easy to be compliant with it and keep our people safe. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a health standard from OSHA. And typically how our industry works, we have two other major health hazards we are concerned about, and that's silica and lead. And typically, we were able to have specialty contractors who... Asbestos and lead, you mean? Asbestos and lead, yeah. yeah. Asbestos and lead, thank you. Uh, we have contractors who, that's their wheelhouse. They'll, they'll take care of the asbestos and lead for you, and they'll manage their health hazards as OSHA requires. Now we come to a <laughs> contaminant that's... It's ubiquitous. Yeah, it's It's everywhere. everywhere. And we are all touching it. And now there's there's a learning curve for the industry of saying, for years I've used these specialty contractors for asbestos and lead. Now I have to learn how to manage a health standard. And uh, the sampling and and exposure is an important critical component to the standard. And this is this program assists and alleviate that Mm -hmm. pressure point for the industry. Was it you, Billy, that were sampled a baseball field? I like to sample a lot of different things, <laughs> whether it's dirt on the ground or, or yeah. the silica sand in a baseball field. Yeah, there's every everything. I mean, where do you start and where do you stop? And that's what I think had this industry um, on its heels. I was. I, I, Kent, you told me a story about one of our contractors sampled his uh, his uh, kid's little league field or the local little league field, and the and the permissible exposure limit was exceeded even on the little league field. He said it was above the action level, but we'll leave that. I have not seen. I can't. Level. I can't justify that. I haven't seen the reports. So, so if his kid was an employee, from, he would have to have a respirator on, a, or at least a program. He'd have to have something. Yeah, yeah. the place. coach better have a silica program on hand. <laughs> Might be tough playing baseball with a respirator on, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, as I understand it, um, Bill Walsh, the the way the program works is a contractor goes to the website ceacisp.org slash silica program. And if you're not one of our members or one of the members of the um, associations across the country that are subscribing to the program, if you're just a standalone contractor, you sign up for the annual subscription with CEA. And then that enables you to order testing equipment from SGS Galson Labs at a discount that, that is made possible through the partnership with CEA. And what they get from you guys is basically two things. Um, the the cartridge, for lack of a better word, which you called a PPI, and that's like the, the laboratory sample ends up being the sample. And, and also the pump that sucks there through the cartridge, the PPI, that, and then they send both of those things back when they're done with them. Is that how it works? That's correct. But uh, we send everything that you need. So there's a piece of Tygon tubing that goes between the PTI and the pump. Uh, instructions, you'll see written instructions with pictures, again, showing you how to take the sample. Uh, pump calibration sheets, so you can see that the pump was calibrated. Basically, everything you need to keep a file so you can show exactly how this uh, sample was taken. And uh, we, there are seven or eight requirements for laboratories in the standard, and, and we meet all of them. We can provide um, documentation that shows that. Our feeling is that eventually this stuff's going to start going to court. So it's important to keep a, a complete record of what you did so you can defend yourself when you're accused of uh, causing 
occupational disease. Mm. And then Billy, how do you guys, as a company, when do you decide to do a sample? And then what's the process that you go through? Well, that's the beautiful thing about this program is that, you know, we do a risk assessment for every project that we have. And it seems like silica is on every project that we have. So the nice part about this is we can go to this database that CEA provides to us and we can say, we're going to be saw cutting, we're going to be grinding, we maybe do jackhammering, and it may be outside or inside. And the database allows us to look at um, prior sampling and gauge our employees' exposure. And now we can it, we can say, well, based on this objective data that we have here, we really need to do something to protect our people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we do need to do something to protect our people, if the data shows that they're above the permissible exposure limit, um, then we write it in and we make sure that now our people have engineering controls, whether it's, you know, water or, or a, a HEPAVAC, or, or, you know, maybe we have to put them into a respirator. Uh, we, we, we use all of the, the data here to, to help protect our employees. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it works very nicely. Be, going back to what Bill Walsh said, um, it, they make it easy too. So if I, if I run my risk, I look at the database and it's justified uh, with my decision and how my employees will be exposed. Um, um, I call up if I need a kit to, to do sampling and uh, uh, everything's there. I mean, the training, the support, everything, it's, it's simple to use. Awesome. So Kent, why don't, you, why don't you explain how we get to the database? Because our, up till now, we've been talking about sampling. Sure. Bill's saying that he, Billy is um, saying, sorry, Bill. <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> Billy is saying that he skips right over the sampling in, in most cases or in a good portion of your cases because he can use our database. How did we get there? So accessing the database is through the website CEA, CISP, have access to the program. Uh, one of the hurdles we had early on is how do we have commitment from all members who are going to participate in the program? Hex Chrome was a struggle because we struggled with one contractor, two contractors busting their butt and resources Doing to sample. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then everyone just comes in and takes that data. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair. That's not that's not what that's not the intent of that program. So what the website gave us the ability to do is if you're interested in participating in accessing the objective database, you have to submit a sample. You should have a list of, like Bill said, Billy said you have a list of activities uh, that are not on table one that you'll have to sample, and one of those samples you can put and submit into our database. The nice thing with submitting samples into the database, and one thing the industry struggles with, is they'll sample for a four-hour period. Bill's lab will get the results back to them, and then now they got a report with a bunch of numbers. They're not sure how that relates to the O'Chapelle. When they go submit the database. O'Chapelle, permissible exposure limit. limit. Got it. When they submit that report into our database, there's actually a permissible exposure limit calculator that will calculate their Pell, and they'll know how to compare it to OSHA and see if they're above the action level, below the action level, or above the Pell where they have to... Uh, supply respirators to their employees. And the action level triggers some kind of pr- protective response from the employer, right? The action level at 25 it triggers the program, right? Any okay. activity above 25, you will have a silica program in place to protect your, your employees. So basically OSHA finds that you're exposing employees above that 25, whatever it is. What is it, milligrams per? Micrograms. 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 They're going to look for some kind of documentation that you've 
done your due diligence, whatever you needed to do as an employer. Yeah, yeah. You, you, there could be a potential exposure. Be ready for it. Mm-hmm. So, and just uh, trying to connect the dots for those who are totally ignorant of the OSHA silica standard. Um, table one is published by OSHA, and that describes some general tasks and what you as an employer need to do or have to do uh, to protect your employees for those general tasks. Is that right? It's a table generated by the government that at the time the table was uh, created, the government felt it was going to cover about 88% of the silica activities we perform on the job site. Um, they, it's broken out into three columns. Uh, one column is the activity itself, other grinding, cutting, uh, moving, moving dirt, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the second column will be your engineering controls, uh, dust or a dustless system or a uh, supplying water to the activity as the task is performed. And the third column is, if required, respiratory protection. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a, if, if you're ignorant to silica and, and the table one is a new term to you, um, understand that there's a whole nother webinar we could probably talk about respiratory protection and what has to be in place before you can actually use that recommended respiratory protection. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's the, f- you know, one of the few times in OSHA's history, and Bill, you could probably, uh, the bills can probably speak to this, where OSHA actually dictates how to protect an employee. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen that often in, in the world of OSHA. Mm-hmm. So they said it was going to cover eighty-eight percent of the activities. Does it? In your experience? Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. I think that there's some some tasks maybe that they've missed, and and quite frankly, I think that through this organization through CEA, you know, we were afforded the opportunity to present what what we have here. To, to Washington, D.C., and th- I think they were impressed enough that um, maybe they're looking at revising Table 1 and, and, and throwing some more tasks on there. Okay. So Table 1 is the, the default. Like, if you can see your activity on Table 1, then you just do what Table 1 says, right? Yeah, the trick to that, Tim, is um, um, making sure you're 100% compliant and following what Table 1 says. You, you got to make sure if it says using water or a dustless vac that you are doing just that mm-hmm. and that you're either outside or you're inside. You have to follow it to a T. What happens if you're not doing something that's described in Table 1? Then you go to your database, mm-hmm. to CEA's database, or you do sampling. Or you do your own sampling. Mm-hmm. And how much does that cost if you do it by yourself? Well, if you, outside of the program, mm-hmm. on average, we reached out to different uh, associations around the state of Ohio, and they gave us an average cost from local industrial hygienist consultants, and it ranged between twenty five hundred dollars to five thousand dollars per sample per sampling um, activity. How much work activity would that, would that cover? That would be typically it's one task. Bill, you could probably speak better to this, and I can't. It's typically one or two tasks plus. Yeah, full their days time. plus their time plus the lab fees. So days worth of service, mm-hmm. $2,500. Okay, so and what does ours cost? Significantly cheaper. <laughs> Depends on how much you're getting, right? Apples to apples, you know, a day with a task or two, send it, order the, the kit from SGS, send it back to SGS and get the results. It's, it's a fraction of that cost. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that covers the gamut of possibilities with doing what you need to do to figure out what your employees are exposed to. Mm-hmm. All right. 
So it's either table one, do your own sampling, or use the program for a fraction of the cost. Mm -hmm. There's there's two options, and in our program. Um, is built off the performance option of the standard, where the performance option lets you sample an activity. And another option is to use the objective data to determine exposure. There's a third option called scheduling option. It just does not fit our industry very well. Right. It's, it's a continuous, uh, rigorous scheduling sample based on results. It just it, we're just too transient. Work's not it, as, as frequent. Our work is too dynamic yeah. and, and sure. It just doesn't repeat that often. Every job's different. Every mm-hmm. task is different. Makes sense. Kent, why don't you explain how we were we were able to build the database that we have now, all the sure. participating sure. parties? Sure. So the the committee, you know, almost eleven years ago now, or whenever we started this this journey after we pulled it off the shelf, one of the hurdles we had was how do we all ensure we're collecting the same data. How are we making sure we, we are checking the same boxes when we go out to the job site and make sure that, because that's critical when we're, when we're looking at tasks and trying to protect our employees, how close that activity can be for what we're going to be performing. And we came up with the uh, objective data form. That's standard, it's a standardized form that everyone has to complete per sample, and that, uh, that form ensures that we're collecting um, consistent information, activity to activity, and uh, meets the definition of objective data according mm-hmm. to OSHA. So, Bill Walsh, what kind of results do you send back to a contractor once they send in their cartridges, their PPI cartridges? They'll get an answer for respirable dust because that's still an issue. Um, whether you have silica or not, you could go over the limit for respirable dust and then we supply a total respirable silica number. So you just take that number, compare it to the standard, you'll know if you're over or under. If you do break the, the day up into different segments, like for example, the guy's working for four hours in the morning, then is off site in the afternoon, Ken's calculator that he has on the website will show you exactly what your exposure would be. So it's really, you know, you compare one number to the other and you're good to go. Yeah, that's great. And, and one more thing, um, not only when we order the equipment, our members <laughs> have a little anxiety about the, the equipment. They also have some anxiety about the paperwork that comes with the equipment, the chain of custody, custody form that Bill's, Bill discussed a little earlier and how important that is to have that information for Bill. Uh, so on our website, we have a frequently asked questions button that you can open up and there's actual samples and highlighted chain of custody forms that Bill was nice enough to put together for us to show what sections of that chain of custody form has to be completed and how. So they have all the information at the time they receive those results. So how do we make sure that it's fair? You mentioned the concern that we had before we expanded our, our outreach to other parts of the country of one or two contractors that are they're bigger and they have safety departments doing all the work, how do you make sure that people that subscribe to this program do their fair share of the the work in building that database? Well, they were, if they want the if they want to access the database, they have to play their part of compliance and sample one activity. In that sense, when the equipment comes, they can call us to help as well. I think I take two or three calls probably every two weeks from around the country for people having questions and if. If there's questions I can't answer, I I I've put them in line with uh, Bill Walsh, and he'll he'll 
get them the uh, correct information for them. So uh, they're going to have to do their part. And mm-hmm. once they do their part, they have access to the object, the objective data, and um, that helps them build their worker exposure plan that helps them be compliant with the standard. Yeah. Yeah, one of the issues with construction, Carlson, SGS Carlson, has done this type of testing for about 50 years. In the past, it's been mostly focused on industrial exposures. So you have people working in plants. The processes are very stable. They know what's going on. With uh, construction, there's two things going on. Like Ken said, you're moving around all the time, so your potential for exposure is going to be different well, quite a bit. And then you are on a job site with you know, multiple trades working, and your guys might be carpenters or electricians that you'll say, oh, they have no exposure, but there's a guy 50 feet away cutting concrete. So all that has to be taken into account. That's what makes table one so valuable, that you're not starting from ground zero every time you do this, you know, you change job sites or something like that. That's a great point. Uh, we, sh- we struggle with, we're learning how, the industry's learning how to manage health standards, and they're also trying to handle how to control emissions. And that's, those are two challenging aspects. And, and kudos to the group who put our program together elaborate a little bit what Bill said, was that we, we just don't collect personal samples in the database. But if I'm a construction manager and I have multiple tasks, multiple activities, and, and one day this guy's generating dust and we have a contractor who's never going to be in silica forever, but all of a sudden he's in the same corridor, same room, same facility, we also gather and collect area samples to help those construction managers manage those activities and know the distances away that their exposure levels can be so they can they can coordinate their work uh, compliantly to protect the employees as they got multiple, multiple tasks being performed. Is that their responsibility under OSHA? Yes. Okay, so CMs are responsible for the safety of everybody on the job site, or, or how does that go? Well, the, the employer who's creating should know that safe zone to keep everyone else away um, mm-hmm. out of, you know, in the, in that safe zone, don't come too close or you could potentially be exposed. So that's the employer's responsibility to do that. And again, the database is, is phenomenal with that. It gives you those things. If, if you want to, if you want to use the database, if you don't want to test on your own, it'll give you both personal and I call perimeter or area samples in distance and distances for that task to where it is safe for people to walk around without any protection or engineering controls. So a construction manager that doesn't self-perform any of the work on its own projects, do they still have responsibilities under the silica code? I would say yes. They, they definitely have to communicate tasks and activities to yeah. all. Uh, their responsibility is, it, it, we talked about the worker exposure plan and OSHA says it, it can be very generic. It, it, you can just throw your activities on it for an employer and, and go to work, and but unfortunately, that that generic worker exposure plan is not going to help that construction manager because their tasks are very limited. Out of this one employer's exposure plan, who has multiple tasks and activities, he might need two or three, or she might need two or three that only impact that job, and they're going to have to keep restriction on distances mm-hmm. from these activities potentially, and that, that's where that that uh, database and that objective data report will help them figure that out, or the employer report to the construction manager and everybody else because it's the employer's responsibility to communicate this with everyone else on the job site, either just verbally telling them that 
I probably don't recommend, but you could verbally tell them. You could post signs or I recommend talking about a coordination of progress meetings in front of the crew, everybody. So everyone's all on the same page um, of the task and, and area, the safe perimeter where they could be as that activity is being performed. Sure. Billy, as uh, for Great Lakes, a lot of most of your jobs have silica mm-hmm. exposure issues or at least the need to check. What do you do? How do you use the database when you're starting a job or how does the database figure into your safety plan for the job? It's a go-to. It's it's almost like an SOP now. Um, for every job that we do, we do a risk assessment and a site-specific health and safety plan. And part of that entails checking not only the tasks that we're going to be performing, but verifying with the database um, if we need to do something special. Um, is it an engineering control? Is it making sure that people, you know, are going to wear respirators or approved to wear respirators? Mm-hmm cordoning off that area to make sure people are safe or just ordering the pumps and running samples to upload to the database. So it's all part of the risk assessment prior to even stepping foot on the job. And when you check the database and the database tells you that it's below the action level, do you then print that out and put it in your file? What do you, do you document that? Yeah, as part of our, as part of our SOP, um, that, that gets put into our file into our site specific health and safety plan is our silica program for that job site. Um, and then anybody who works on that job site, you know, has to part of our program is they read through it and understand what we're going to do and what our potential exposures are. And when they see that, that there's no potential exposure to silica, you know, they initial that and they move on to the next hazard on the job. Great. Bill so, Walsh, how, do you, how important do you think that kind of process is? Extremely important. Again, you're, you have to look at the potential for having to defend yourself for workplace exposure further down the line. There's also, and, and Ken can talk to this, there was a lot of confusion on OSHA's part when the standard went into effect. And I believe they're just starting to uh, figure out how they're going to enforce the standard. So depending on what exposures they, they sense in the workplace, they're going to, to ask for this material. They're at least going to ask if you have a uh, compliance plan on site. That's going to be the first question they ask. So, yeah, I would say it's, you know, critical. For sure. The uh, So we are well ahead of the curve right now, I would say, in the industry. And uh, for the last year and a half or so, I can speak to Northeast Ohio. We've been talking silica for 15 years. We've been just talking, teaching silica and outreach and education. And OSHA, no activity yet. Right, no activity, and and the reason why we're not seeing a tremendous amount of activities because they don't have a directive uh, completed, a final directive completed for the compliance officers to follow. They do have an interim, and they say they're close to the close to the final directive. Um, and the interim directive is actually posted on our on our website for our CEA members at, at the Silica Resource page. At the Silica Resource page, there's a, there's a program there to help them put their exposure plan together. There's a there's a program that, that demonstrates the uh, thanks to Bill he submitted the uh, directive of the protocol for air sampling as OSHA as they come out and we know that as Bill talked about OSHA doesn't use the PPIs but OSHA uses the cyclones and uh, the, the program has heightened the understanding of some of those deficiencies OSHA may may come across with those with those cyclones and we also have a sample sample silica program that our members can morph into their own and fit their needs as well. 
on the uh, resource page. Was the deficiency with the cyclone method of testing, was that something that you guys presented to the, the Washington, D.C. Um, OSHA staff on? Well, I can say they were certainly intrigued by the PPI because they know that, that um, end user error is could be high with a cyclone, especially if you're not trained in the use of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we brought brought it to their attention that we're using the PPI, and, and Bill Walsh did a, a great job of, of not only showing the data but walking them through the process, I got to I gotta believe that, that they, I think one of them said that they wish they could, aside from costing a bunch of money, they could switch from a cyclone to a PPI had their labs not be set up to use cyclones for testing. Sure. I can, I can confirm that. I know several OSHA inspectors and they really wish they could use the PPIs. They don't, not only do they have to use cyclones, but they have to use kind of a uh, technologically obsolete cyclone. So, well, yeah, PPIs are more or less state of the art and if OSHA had the opportunity to use them, they definitely would. Is there any concern over the fact that, Bill, that your program's not using the same testing mechanism that OSHA uses? No, they're both mentioned in the standard, and there's a uh, there are some criteria that sampling devices have to meet in order to be used. And PPIs and, and cyclones are almost completely uh, interchangeable as far as the results are concerned. So the results are interchangeable, but the methodology is a lot more foolproof with the, the type of program that we use. Yeah, it's uh, light years away from uh, the old way. Great. Bill Walsh, anything else you wanted to cover? The big, uh, I think Kent touched on this. The biggest source of anxiety is when they get the, the box of equipment and they open it up and, and they're not sure what's going on. But the videos that are on the website and the technical support they can get you know, as you mentioned, it can scale up to watching the videos, to talking to customer service, to getting hold of the certified industrial hygienist to walk them through it. Once you do the process, you'll realize how easy it is. So it's just, uh, it's actually the way to go. One of the problems that generally comes up is uh, weather. You know, we don't recommend sampling outside in the rain, for example. You can keep the pumps for up to two weeks, and if you get in a situation where it rains every day for two weeks, we're fairly flexible about letting you keep them longer. You just have to, to notify us to let us know what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we give, when you order, on, and another nice thing that SGS gives us the advantage of, it, since this program has branched uh, throughout the country, uh, when we order the equipment, we can drop ship those pumps anywhere we need them. I just had a contractor here out of Northeast Ohio, is down in Orlando, Florida. And they, when they go out of their region, they have to look for these industrial hygiene consultants. That's time and energy and resources that all they need to do is sit in their office here, click it, and send it to Florida in three to four days. It's sitting on their desk ready for sampling. So that's a big yeah, well. One of the things that we, one of the problems we identified is that with our normal style pumps that professional hygienists use, you have to charge them up overnight, and that was causing some confusion. People didn't realize that. They would just get the box to go out in the field. The pumps might stop after three or four hours. So we've gone to a much simpler pump that runs on AA batteries. Uh, we send you some AA batteries. You just stick it in the pump, and you're good to go. Sounds easy. It is. Wow. This, this program has um, 
This program has provided a easy to use, reliable, valid method for protecting your employees and the employers at the same time. It's it, it truly is state of the art. We have uh, employers participating in this in this program from 25 different states. We've received samples and results from 25 different states so far around the country. And um, if you have any questions, comments, and concerns, you can always reach me. Uh, my information is on the website. Or um, what's the best way? For email. Email is the best way. My email will be Kent at c e a c i s p dot o r g. And regardless if you are a participating member or not, we'll address any questions you have. And if you are a member and you have this equipment come to you and you just want a refresher, just give us a call. We'll walk you through it. And what we can answer, we'll, we know someone who can. And uh, Bill's been great. Bill's Bill, been great. and for those who want to know more about SGS Galson, what's your website? Our website is sgsgalson.com. And when you get to the landing page, if you scroll down a bit, you'll see a picture of, uh, of a guy's hand blasting. That'll take you to our uh, Silica landing page. So you'll see something that's very similar to what Ken says. But, uh, you know, there's some additional documentation on there, like the letter I mentioned that shows we're in compliance. We have to do testing every quarter to show that we're proficient in the analytical methods. So that data is on there. And, uh, the, the chat functions on there if you need some technical support. And again, to access the program as a subscriber, individual contractor, it's ceacisp.org slash silica program. And uh, if you're a member of one of those associated general contractors, uh, state chapters who are part of the program, you can contact your state chapter and ask them about it if they're part of it. If they're not, maybe they should be, and you can encourage them to become part of it so that uh, the members of that chapter can access the program together at a discount. If not, it's a $500 a year annual subscription for individual subscribers, individual contractors, and that gets you the steep discounts that Billy mentioned on the sampling equipment. And once you then get a sample back from SGS Galson, and then you enter those sampling results into the into the database, then you have access to the database itself, which will save you having to sample in a lot of instances if the results that you need are in the database. So um, encourage everybody to check it out. I'll put all of the links that we've talked about today. Ken's address, SGS Galson, and the uh, links to the Silica program in the show notes of the episode. Anything else to leave us with, gentlemen? I appreciate the opportunity yeah. to, to discuss the program, and I appreciate Bill Hosevar and Bill Walsh's time. Uh, I've pulled these guys numerous times now to come out and discuss the, uh, the program and the benefits of it, so I, I greatly appreciate both of your time and support going through this Appreciate this, uh, the opportunity. Process. Okay. Yeah, I I appreciate the opportunity to explain about Galson, and you know I really enjoy helping people out. It's uh, one of the more rewarding parts of my job. So I always tell people, don't hesitate. And they'll say, well, I have a stupid question, and believe me, the the bar is pretty high as far as what a stupid question is. So don't hesitate at all. Yeah, I want to echo Ken's. Gratitude. Thank you. Thank you both for being on the show. Um, and to Bill Walsh, thanks for going around the country and promoting the the program to other associations that have partnered with us. You've been probably in the half a dozen states that I know of that you've been in talking about the program. 
two groups I'm of contractors there. It's been a win-win situation for both us and the, and the organization. Yeah. Well, it's a win-win-win because it's, it's discounts on the contractor side and it's it's an asset that the industry didn't have before in terms of this database. Mm-hmm. So and the, the fact that we can protect our employees prior to getting to the task or activity is speaks volumes of where we were 10 years ago. So it's a, it's a tool uh, waiting to be used for sure. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.